car trouble. Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas-drinking, piston clanking, air-polluting, smoke-belching, four-wheel buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your song, son. Good morning, Southern Arizona and the rest of you out there in cyberspace. Welcome to the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show right here on ESPNTucson.com. 1049 FM, 1490 AM. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host, and along riding shotgun with me, who hasn't been on for a while, Mr. Test First on guest, Brian Fuller. Good morning. Good morning, Brian. And how are you doing over there? You had any weird storms last night? Not last night, but a few days ago we had a microburst that... Blew the rain from one side of the shop all the way to the other. That's one way to get your floors clean, I guess. <laughs> Mother Nature taking care of business. All right. That's right. Now it's been a while. It's been a while since you've been on, and I've talked to you on a regular basis, and I know how busy you've been over there, and I know the variety of things that you've been getting into. What are you seeing now with the motoring public? What's, what seems to be the biggest issue with them as far as the cars? I mean, is there any particular pattern you've been able to pick up on? Well, there's just been a whole lot of everything going on. I mean, it's it, the motoring public right now is seriously taking care of their vehicles. I mean, the average repair right now is is just huge because they're coming in and they're saying, I'm not going to buy a new car. I'm going to fix what's wrong with this one because they see that, you know, even though it's a considerable amount of money to repair, they see that that is much cheaper than going the opposite way of buying a new car. And... I'm seeing people completely repairing their suspensions. I'm seeing transmissions being replaced. Uh, It's just unbelievable. Engines, um, it's just huge, huge as to what's going on out there right now. And, I mean, it's just not one thing. It's just every broad spectrum of, of the automobile from bumper to bumper. I mean, it's getting fixed. You know, steering and suspension, and I mean that can get expensive all by itself. You know, you start talking control arms and and ball joints and struts and shocks and tie rod ends and steering rack and pinions, and it just goes on and on and on. But the biggest challenge. How is your right uh, 
is How the parts. is your availability of parts now, Brian? Is it still a problem? And I know there's unfortunately some it is. Of... It, it's a huge yeah. problem. Um, you know, we're sitting here waiting. Uh, you know, for parts. Uh, I'm a lot of the OE parts. You know, they could be three to five days away. Uh, a while back, I had a F-150. Ever heard of one of those? They didn't make very many, right? I needed an intake manifold <laughs> for it. And uh, it's, it was, pla- you know, the plastic intake manifolds. And uh, I waited almost two months for an intake manifold. Unbelievable. Oh, my gosh. Another scenario, I got a Honda. What is that thing? What year? Let me pull this up here. Honda, Honda, Honda Civic. Ever heard of those? Honda Civic, 2013. No, they never made one. I can't buy shift cables for it. It's got a manual transmission in it, which is rather rare, but uh, it hmm. needs the shifter cables to make the transmission shift. Discontinued. There's none out there. We can't Oops. buy them. You know, this is just an example of what's going oh on. Oh, my gosh. You know, so here, here, there's a car sitting, you know, it, and it just goes on and on and on. It's it's crazy. I've never, ever seen anything so like it is... in my life. Oh, no. I've never even heard of it. In fact, I never thought it would get this bad. But uh, it's absolutely a another little issue that's thrown at uh, garages and manufacturers, or you know, OE even OEs. You know, they had the problem with the chips. Well, they're getting chips now, but they're not getting them at the volume that they used to, and they were so far behind. By the time they started pushing them out again, uh, they're still playing catch up. So, I don't know when it's going to end, but. Uh, for the ones of you out there that are, are having this debate on whether to buy one to replace it just to get all the parts that's necessary, <laughs> it, it, it's almost like that, you know, and I have to laugh with you. I'm not laughing at you because I know what you're up against. Brian knows what you're up against. Uh, even uh, Parker Automotive. I mean, anybody in auto repair knows what you're up against. So we're just well. The uh, nice thing is, is you know, we've got great, mm-hmm. great customers, and they understand, you know, and mm-hmm. they're patient with us because they know what we're up against, you know, which is really cool yep. that we have a great clientele like that because it, it's tough, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. it's tough on them if it's what? their only car. It's super tough. You know, and and it's oh, tough yeah. on us because we want to produce, we want to come in, and we want to work and crank these cars out and get them fixed. But you know, it, it's really challenging right now. I had a, um, a business club member that had her vehicle into the Acura place for repair, and there was something about they couldn't get the parts to fix it or anything like that, and it stayed over over a month. But they provided her with a brand-new Acura to drive. And she said, if that thing didn't cost a darn much money, I'd go ahead and buy the new one. And she said, because I, I, I can't believe this, that y'all can't even get 
parts to fix these things. Well, that's part of the issue now, and we're trying to work our way through it. It's you know, it's no big of a uh, no bigger of a deal than trying to deal with electric cars that's coming out now, and the infrastructure problem that they've got going on. And now I'm under the impression, uh, I think the manufacturers of, the, of these electric cars have cut back production almost 50% on electric vehicles that's being offered out there. I, it did not say why, other than demand wasn't there yet. Well, I expect that. It's like anything else. It has to be created, and people have to get to feeling comfortable about it. That one, that you can afford to buy one of the darn things, and two, that you've got a place where you can go fill it up with electric when it gets out. And uh, the yeah, distance. Mitch was talking about this the other day with a customer. I overheard <clears throat> what he was saying because my son Mitch has got a Tesla, and uh, mm-hmm. the customer was saying, Should I go buy an electric vehicle? And Mitch says, well, you got to think about a few of these things. Where are you going to charge it now? So you buy the electric car. You're going to have to put in a charging station at your house because otherwise you just can't justify it. And he said, here's another thing. He says, let's say you're going to take off and go to San Diego. Now, they say it will go... 200, 250 miles, he says you got to take into consideration the conditions that you're driving through. Have you got a headwind up against you? He says, are you going through the mountains? He says you take all these things into consideration, and you can take that mileage that that car is supposed to go and about cut it in half, okay, mm-hmm. as far as its range. And he says, okay, so you get halfway to San Diego and you need to charge. That's fine and dandy. But what if there's three other people in front of you waiting to charge? You could be sitting there for a couple hours waiting to charge his car back up. So as he was telling the customer, he says, you need to take all these things into consideration. You know, your driving habits, do you drive around town or do you plan on going back and forth to San Diego or... What are you going to do? And are you ready for the expense of putting that charging station in at your house? Because you're going to have to do that. So these are some things to think about. I thought that was a pretty good conversation. It was a good conversation, a very knowledgeable conversation. You know, the electric cars is just, uh, you know, I keep going back to diesels, all right? Uh, electric cars uh, have the same infrastructure problem that the diesel had, the, the mid-sized diesel, when it first came out. I mean, my gosh, if we wanted diesel fuel, we had to go to the truck stop. And now you can pretty much pull it in. You can you can buy diesel fuel within a couple of miles of your house uh, at a lot of places. But it wasn't that way when it first started out. In 1993... The consumer is the one that created the demand for diesel fuel because everybody started buying mid-sized diesels for towing, and that, in fact, they were getting better fuel economy than the gas burners then. And it was just, it made sense. But if you do the math, even at that, because it didn't take the manufacturers long to figure, hey, 
they're buying these things like pancakes now because you get better fuel economy and man, these things are ripe. But if you take the difference in price of that diesel truck versus a gas burning truck the same year, same size, uh, and you say, okay, well, the difference is going to be the fuel. I did the math. 125,000 miles I was going to have to drive this diesel truck in order to even realize the savings on the diesel fuel. Well, by the time I drove the darn thing 125,000 miles, diesel fuel costs more than the gasoline. <laughs> there is no win on this. If you need a diesel and you can use it as a regular basis, it was never designed to be a grocery getter. It is designed to pull and work like heavy construction equipment. Um, four horse trailers weigh 17, 18,000 pounds, but it wasn't designed to run down to the little uh, local grocery store and uh, get a loaf of bread and do your grocery shopping and come back. It needs to run hard, pull hard, so that it can keep the engine clean and the byproducts out of the motor. So if not, you're going to be seeing Brian and at automotive specialists, you're going to be seeing Simmons at Simmons 4 before. You're going to be seeing Parker at Parker Automotive to get these things cleaned up. What about, let's, let's talk a little bit, Brian, about these, uh, the turbos. They got turbos on everything that's moving now. Are they all variable vein or are they stationary? And what, what's going on with the turbos now that you're seeing coming through? Well, they're just about all variable veins right now. <clears throat> That's how they get the more power out of these things, you know. But, oh, yeah. uh, you know, oh, yeah. if you're using what, them for a grocery the getter, like you say, veins. they can carbon up like you wouldn't believe, and then the veins don't move, and then you get to, you know, either try and clean it, which is usually not successful, and then you get to replace it, which is a huge expense. Oh yeah. Like you say, they got to work. You got to you got to work these things. They need to work. They need to get out and pull. I know my uh, son borrowed my uh, 06 Dodge and it was a 59. He bought borrowed that thing and towed a big boat up to the lakes. And when he brought that thing back to me, I'll swear it was a different truck. That thing, I didn't realize how much power that 06 had. Because he cleaned it out. He went on a sustained run with a load behind it. Worked that engine like it was designed to do. It burned everything out just nice and clean. And, I mean, it just run like a different vehicle. So, yeah, they need – Dad used to say a long time ago, every now and then you got to take these vehicles out on the freeway and blow them out. Well, his idea of blowing them out was 65 mile an hour. My idea of blowing it out is 65 mile an hour in second gear. <laughs> There's a difference in how you clean these motors up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and fuel fuel additives, you know, uh, and top tier fuel is critical. And but if you run an additive, if you follow your owner's manual in a brand new car, it'll say at all service intervals. Add a can of gasoline treatment, part number, blah, 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 blah. And you can put this in a car. Now, if the, if the gasoline was up to snuff 
And the manufacturers are recommending top-tier fuel, by the way. And so if the fuel was good enough to do all of this, why would they say put a can of uh, fuel conditioner in it? Brian, how many times have we seen that? I can, no, never mind. You can't count that high, neither can I. And the calculators, some of them start smoking when you start going that far. But um, how many times have you seen a vehicle come in? Let's take that motor vac machine that we both own. All three of us have them. And you put a motor vac. Now, you have tested the bottle and the lines going into a motor vac. What's been your experience, I mean, for carbon cleaning? What has been your experience the, using the cans that just suck it in or using a motor vac? What's the difference that you found on that? Well, the cans that you dump into the gas tank, that's a good preventive maintenance type thing. But the motor vac, it actually does work. It's very rare that I have a vehicle that it doesn't work on. I mean, it, what it's doing is, is it's cleaning all the carbon off the backside of that intake valve on your port-injected now, on your GDI, your direct gas-injected engines into the combustion chamber, that's a different process. You have to actually fog the chemical in through the throttle body because the injector is in the combustion chamber, and you can't spray this stuff on the back of the intake valve through the injector. You have to fog it in through the throttle body. So that's a whole different process. And especially on your GDI vehicles these days, you want to be running some fuel injector cleaner through your gas tank almost every three to 5,000 miles to keep those valves clean. Otherwise, you can develop a misfire. I've had vehicles come in here, GDIs, gas direct injected engines, where they've got a misfire. And it isn't because of the spark or the coil or the injector, it's because of carbon buildup on the back side of those valves. And it'll build up to the point where it'll actually hold that valve partly open when it shouldn't be, which will cause a misfire. So, Correct. like I said, I've said before, I had an F-150 come in here one time, and it had a random cylinder misfire. And it wasn't because of spark plugs or coils or injectors. It was because he had carbon buildup. I mean, you could rest your arm on the... Uh, on the door with the window down he could feel the vehicle shaking a little bit and i says well we do have this procedure that we can try it's either this or we to pull the cylinder heads off and do a valve job on this thing because that's how serious it is so we fogged the mm -hmm. chemical into the into the engine through the throttle body and it got better because i could watch it on the scanner in the mode six data i could see the engine cylinder misfires were decreasing so I says, called him up, and I says, hey, I says, uh, we made a little progress. You want to try this again? And he said, go for it. We did it a second time, and the misfires were gone. Now, in his case, he was lucky, because I've seen other vehicles that were so bad that they did have to have the cylinder heads removed and had a valve job done to get rid of all that hard carbon off the backside of the intake valve. So heads up, you know. Well, the hard carbon buildup on the intake valves, when a valve burns, it burns from the inside of the head, uh, the valve, 
out to the cylinder based on spark and fire. And when you get this accumulation of the hard carbon sitting on the back of that valve, then it holds it open, like you were saying, but it also allows fire to get in there and start burning the valve from the carbon out to the cylinder, and then you wind up with a burnt valve. Now, if you wind up with a burnt valve, let's say you got 100,000 miles on it, 125,000 or 150,000 miles. Now you got a burnt valve. So the old question is, do I go in and just do the one burnt valve or do I do all the valves? I got a news flash for you. When those, when you get that kind of mile, mileage on a vehicle and evidently it hadn't been, it's done got that big carbon wad on the back of those intake valves. You had one valve burn. It's time for a valve job on all of them. And this is the risk you take. You've got weak cylinders, and so the rings are not seating properly. They're starting to round the corners as they come up because there's not enough compression inside the cylinder to keep the ring setting flat to the walls of the cylinder. And so people will go in, and and they've had it like this for oh, 50,000 miles. And they'll go in, and they'll say, okay, well, I'm just going to um, – uh, I'll just do a valve job on this thing. I told my brother, who didn't listen to me, and he did one on his Ford. And I said, if I, if you do just if you do all the valves, then what you're going to do is create the pressure equal back across the cylinders. If you just replace the one valve, you're allowing the rest of them to stay in their locations because you're not incre- increasing the compression inside. And I'll guarantee you, in 30 days, you'll be replacing the engine because it's going to smoke like a son of a gun, just like you'd set it on a timer. 30 days, he called me, and he says, you're absolutely correct. That thing is absolutely going through oil, burning oil like a son of a gun because he replaced, he did the heads right when he pulled them off. But the thing is, he already had to wear in the cylinders. And the rings were rounded out on the corners. So, you know, he had a real big problem. So when people are thinking speaking about of valves, doing something like that on Yep, go ahead. Speaking of valves, my son's building an LS motor right now. And here we go with the parts again and the quality of the parts. First set of valves, mm-hmm. the valve stems weren't consistent in length. They were running four to five thousandths different from one to the other. Good Lord. So send those back, get another set of valves, and they're not as bad. But when they start grinding them and getting them to the proper length and getting everything the way it needs to be, while they're machining them, the head of the valve snaps off. Oh my and it, they're not any good. You know, this isn't the first time that I've heard this either. I, uh, I've got another friend, Steve. He owns a machine shop. He said the same thing. He says, I can't get valves that are any good. He says, look at this. The valve stem snaps right off of the head. And it, yep. it, I'm not making this up. Well, uh, Two different machine shops don't have the same to. thing. You know? 
In 2000, in 2022, on your Broncos, your little Ford Broncos and stuff, they had a bunch of recalls on those because the keepers, the valve keepers would come out of the top. They keep the valves in location. They would come out of the top, and it would destroy that little 1.7 echo boost or whatever that little small echo boost is, engine, and those things were failing. Well, when that fails, uh, the, most of those are close tolerance engines. You can do massive damage on them if you, especially if you're running an RPM on it, you know, the revolution per minute when that thing turns loose. I hadn't heard of a keeper coming out of a valve. I mean, I run cars at 8,000 RPMs on a racetrack and we had the same design keepers. Of course, there's, there's two ring and three rings that you have retained in there. I don't know what Ford put in them, but they stayed together. I was racing Fords, so I never had one come loose. I burnt, bent a bunch of push tubes, but I never had a valve keeper come out unless it was misinstalled and it normally shows up while you're doing a warm up. And, you know, and, or something's too far worn out. So, no, that is not far-fetched what you just said. That thing is going on with 2021. Brian, keep in mind, they can't even put a set of lugs on a F-150, 250, 350, 450, 550, and 650. They, they had a recall because the wheels were coming off of these trucks. And that's 2021, 2022. And I'm thinking, my God, if you can't even put a lug nut on, I mean, what's the world coming to? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of issues. Now, to address the quality of parts, I talked to a uh, my brother who was an engineer and a, he was an inspector for Volvo North America. And he and I asked him, I said, do you have a clue what's going on with the parts that we're getting in now that are not up to standard? I mean, we're buying parts from people that we we quit buying from ten years ago because they were just they weren't up to our standard for repair to a consumer. Well, these what I understand is the covid when covid went through a lot of your larger manufacturers they lost the the sales in order to justify even staying in business, and they cut their staffing way back because they didn't have enough to even justify it. Well, people started saying, okay, well, I need this part. And so they started going to the lesser manufacturers, which do a good job as long as you don't drive the car. And so you've got this car, and you can't get the part, alternators, starters, uh, power steering racks, and the quality on them has dropped down, and I think they've done it like they do everything else. They say, well, we're going to have a certain percentage of failures on these things, so, you know, we'll just keep manufacturing, throwing them out the door, throwing them out the door, throwing them out the door, and then the independents and the dealerships can just deal with it when it gets there. We'll warrant, we'll give another one when it goes out. Well, that's the climate that the auto repair industry is actually working with right now. And you say, well, well there's a lot of truth to that. Problems. I mean, go to... they've got, you know, power, when you get into power steering, I mean, power steering pumps and rack and pinions these days, 
whenever I have to do one of those, I try to source out a brand new one. Because yep. it, it seems like you get a rack and pinion that's been remanufactured, you can almost count on that thing failing. Almost count yeah. on it. it I, I can't uh, I tell you how many I had to warranty this year as far as rack and pinions. And then power remanufactured power steering pumps. You put them on, noise. You got a noisy power steering pump right out of the bat. The vehicle didn't even leave the shop, you know, and you got to go yeah. get another pump. So anytime that I do anything power steering related, I try to source out a brand new part because you can almost count on that one working. In fact, I've only had to warranty one brand new rack and pinion, one. So that's much yeah. better than I can tell you about the remanufactured stuff. It's just insane. Well, it, uh, most of the time you have to go. The difference between a reman, um Merle's, they actually found, Wade found a new rack and pinion in the aftermarket. It was made new. It wasn't rebuilt. It, they made a new one. And they put that on my Honda. And I said, well, why didn't you just go to Honda and get it? Because he said, Honda's almost $900. This one was 400 I think. And it was new. Well, so far, so good. And that was after three of the rebuilt rack and pinions on this car. And, of course, you know, it was more of a, uh, it's not my only vehicle, so I could afford to do without it if it broke down. But I was using it as a test vehicle to test and see if it was just a freak because of the remanufactured or what's going on with it. But, uh, no, three three of those things in a row. And then we he found a new one, and I said, okay, let's try this one, see if it works. If not, we're going to have to go to OE, which is Honda, and get a new one. And uh, so we put it on, and it saved me about $450, and it works. But the thing on, you have to be very careful what fluid you put in these things, too. You put anything but Honda fluid in a Honda power steering, I don't care if it's man, remanufactured or whatever, it's going to go out, and it'll go out within 30 days. So you have to pay attention to the fluids that you're using when you're changing these hydraulic pumps and boxes and stuff that's on these cars now. It's just like antifreeze and motor oil. You've got to make sure everything is like it's supposed to be. Oh, I got to get in a, you know, Spectre Mining Road Auto Collision, 744-4454 for anything you want to have done to your body on your vehicle or painting or getting the sunspots off of the paint job or any collision that you may have. So if you have a collision and you're out on the road, you want to call 744-4454. Give them the claim number. Your first call is going to be the insurance company. Then have Frontier Towing pick it up at 748-1100. Have it delivered over to Spectrum. They'll do the rest of the stuff because you've got a lot of pictures, a lot of virtual stuff that's involved now, and they know how to do all of that and take that aggravation away from you. So 744-4454, Spectrum, Ina Road, Auto Collision. Oh, I've got race tickets. Oh, i got race tickets. Oh, my gosh. Um, callers number one and two, i got uh, race tickets. It's a family four-pack like I normally have every other week on this show. It's for callers one and two. 
Family four packs to Tucson Speedway. The gates open at five. The racing starts at six thirty at the Tucson Speedway down on south of Tucson. Um, and the phone number for the for the tickets is five two zero. Got to put that in anymore. Seven one nine fourteen ninety five two zero seven one nine fourteen ninety. If you'd like to join the show with your comments and questions, five two zero seven one nine fourteen ninety. Same number. One will get your tickets. One will get you on to me and Brian. Me and Mister Test first. Don't guess. Um, <laughs> Merrill's Merrill's Machine Shop for you weekend warriors. If you need a rotor's turn, drums turn, flywheels. Resurfaced uh, Merrill's Merrill's Auto, 15 West Ajo is the machine shop, 807-4010, 807-4010 to Merrill's Auto. They are, are open today, and uh, make sure that you can get it in and get it back if that's your daily driver. Uh, word of caution, when you're working on these vehicles in a weekend, it's your only vehicle, you make sure you can locate the parts, and they are available before you start tearing stuff down because you may be waiting till Monday or Tuesday before you can get that car back on the road. So heads up. All right. Um, go ahead, Brian. I, yeah, wanna, I still want to know. I've been in the trenches out here working in the shop. There. Just about, like I say, I've been in the trenches working out in the shop to help the guys out because we've been just buried in work to do. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. thank God that I can still do that, you know, but, uh, we've had just crazy big jobs. I mean, one of them was this, uh, we had a fleet of these little things, these Ram ProMaster cities. They've got, uh, little 2.4 in it. It's a little Fiat motor and boy, these things are something else. This particular one that had misfires on cylinder one, come to find, and it's variable valve timing, of course, and we found the oil supply solenoid valve was switching on time, but found that during the functional test, the four VVT variable valve timing solenoids on the engine at operating temperature, cylinder number one wasn't working. Cylinder two was weak. Three and four was okay. So at that point, you have to replace the multi-air variable valve timing assembly. Well, guess what? <laughs> this thing is dealer only. And yes, we had to wait to get it. The part alone was almost $2,000. And then we went through the procedure... You know, I was investigating about, you know, what we're going to have to do to replace this part. Well, unfortunately, but I could justify it because, like I said, we got a fleet of these things that come through here. There's a special tool to install this thing. And if you don't use this special tool, you will do damage to the part because you have to depress all the valve springs, the four of them, that are attached to this thing all at the same time. A little tough to do. So I got to investigate, oh, and, you know, where am I going to get this part? Well, the dealer would be happy to sell it to me for about $2,000. Oh, 
And the I tool? found that uh, what's that? The tool the special itself. Tool. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. So I okay. did I find just one. To make sure to heard that correct. I yeah. And so I found one in the aftermarket that they assured would work perfectly, and it had really good reviews, and it was about six hundred bucks. So I bought it. It made the installation of the part rather easy, and all is said and done. But, I mean, by the time this vehicle was finished, the bill was $3,100. I mean, this is what we're up against with these newer vehicles. And the thing with this is these little vehicles is a lot of these parts for the motor, dealer only. They, they've got that tied down, and we're running into this more and more with these newer vehicles, dealer-only parts. And then the availability, wow. again, you know, are they in stock? Are they not? Are you going to wait a week? Are you going to wait a month? What's it going to be, you know? So this is what we're up against well, with these vehicles. And the, the last weekend I covered recalls on electric vehicles and regular gas-burning vehicles. And I was amazed because it took me almost three days to read everything that was involved with the recalls. And I, I just was, I'm going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Because anytime you have a bunch of recalls on a car, or an excessive amount of technical service bulletin, which is almost like reading a magazine every day. Um, it, it's I, I just it's it's almost impossible, you know. And then when I found out about thirty five percent of the people are driving around the roads in the U.S. of A. Actually, it's further than that. Uh, they are uh, they're driving on an active recall. People, recall is a safety issue. It's like having bad brakes, except you don't know when it's going to actually stop. And when that safety issue is uh, going to, uh, the factory, manufacturers already told you, have sent you a notification, or you've seen it on the news, or we've told you on the Simmons Car Care Show about these recalls. Okay, this is in. As for, you know, I was telling you about the one on the Ford trucks. I was shocked. I mean, we've been making cars a long time, and not to be able to get the lug nuts tight on the set of wheels on a vehicle on four, one, two, three, four, five, five series of Ford trucks, that's almost unheard of. You know, General Motors don't have a problem keeping the lug nuts on them. Dodge don't have a problem keeping the lug nuts on them. If they do, it's a hidden secret because I sure couldn't find anything, and I was looking because I own a Dodge. And I, I, I look at this, and I'm going, what is going on? And so I dug a little deeper. Well, you've got, I don't know. I, you know, I've seen them put lug nuts on wheels uh, when they're manufacturing these vehicles, and they're all robotic. The only thing I can think of is somebody didn't reset the, the specifications on the machines because normally they are dead on. If you want 150 pounds on a lug nut, you just punch it into a computer, and that machine that puts those lug nuts on those wheels, tightens them up and torques them down, it's right on the money. 
And so the first thing that people do that own the Fords that have this little issue, get buy you a torque wrench and torque the darn thing to the specifications, and then you'll know it's right. But uh, don't don't turn up your nose at these little recall notices. They are real. They are safety items, and a safety item. If they go bad, they're subject to get you hurt or killed. It's something that you don't want to play. Now, if you want to find out if your vehicle that you're driving has a current recall on it, just call the National Highway Transportation Safety Authority, put in your event or Google it or whatever you want to do, but get a hold of them. And put in, get your VIN number in, and it will tell you whether or not you have an active recall on your vehicle. If it does, get a hold of the manufacturer of the said vehicle and get in and get it fixed. I mean, the airbag, airbags are still going on by the buckets full as far as the Takata. And there's a lot of people that's driving with the airbags that may and may not deploy. They may deploy unannounced. And those things fire in milliseconds, faster than you can blink your eyes. And so when they go off, it's kind of a frightening situation, especially if you wear glasses because it hits you right in the face. So these things are real critical. So don't, please don't ignore the recalls. You know, get them checked out. Uh, call the National Highway Transportation Safety Authority. Put in your VIN number and see if there's an active recall on your vehicle. And that you haven't had fixed and go it that way and then you'll be safer. That's all I got to say about the recalls. There's last week I was telling you there's a difference between a recall and a technical service bulletin. A technical service bulletin is a notification on things that has happened that's not safety related. It will not be fixed at no cost. And it's just to put the shops on on notice that this is a normal issue. We have noticed different uh, coming in on this particular item, and it's something that we relay to the consumer, say, hey, you do have a technical service bulletin out on this particular area. And if it's uh, something that's covered under warranty on your, on your automobile, we'll tell you. It's covered under your current warranty that you have. Take it to the manufacturer and have this done under your normal warranty agreement. So you don't have to worry about that. And then we have people that said, I'm not taking it back to dealership for nothing. I want it fixed. You just go ahead and fix it. Well, you know something? This is around an $800 fix. I don't care. I'm not going back. This actually happened at Simmons. I'm not going back. I'm not, I don't care what it costs. I want it fixed. I've got the vehicle already. I paid a lot of money for it. Uh, I'm not going to take it back to them and let it sit there for a month while they try to figure it out or they, you know, go through all the warranty procedures that they think they've got to go through. And uh, so that's the difference there. But, yeah, if you've got yeah, it under warranty, that. you've already paid for the warranty, use it. Okay, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I had an instant like that with a 2011, uh, what was this thing? Ford Explorer uh, customer came in and he says, well, he says, I'm having problems with my vehicle starting, but he says, I really, you know, if 
I take this thing to the dealer, he says, it'll be there for five weeks. So just go ahead and fix it. Well, this particular vehicle, he had problems with it starting, okay? Times, no rhyme or reason. Sometimes it would, sometimes it wouldn't. So let's get back to the basics, you know. Does the thing have a, he also said that sometimes he had to charge the battery. So let's do a starting and charging system test for to get going on this thing. So parasitic draw. Is something taking power away from that battery when the key's off that would drain the battery? Well, in his case, the draw was 0.12 amps, which is nothing. Wouldn't drain the battery in days or weeks. But the battery test, his cold cranking amps was 356, and specs was 750. Well, 356 is not even close to 750. Now, did it start the car? Sure. But could you trust the battery? No. It was on the way out. Problem one is replace the battery. Now, what did this other battery cause? There was a bunch of things going on. Scan the computer. Many of the modules in the vehicle had battery circuit low voltage below threshold. Well, of course they did. The battery was weak. Remember I said the, all these modules totally dependent on voltage, and if it gets below 11.8, 11.9, you can have all kinds of problems. Also, there was loss of communication in multiple modules. Why? Again, because of voltage. So that problem is taken care of with a new battery. Problem number two. He had a current code for the PATS, Passive Anti-Theft System, signal erratic. At times it would start with both keys, and other times it wouldn't. Now what was odd in this case was his scan data was showing the master key was not present. And I says, what do you mean it's not present? Um, these other two are. One worked. The other one didn't. The one that did work all the time, the unlock button wouldn't work. So here's another problem. Because this thing has a parameter presence system on it, which can put it into anti-theft no-start mode. So anyway, I go in, and using the scanner, I erase both of the keys and go to try and reprogram them. One would program, the other one would not. So finally, after that, I says, look, we need to get to the dealer. We need to get two new keys and start over. One other thing that I found in the vehicle was I found an aftermarket starter disabled device in the car. That little blinky light that's sitting on the knee bolster right in front of you when you're sitting in the seat. Yeah, that's not supposed to be there. The car didn't come with that when it was made at Ford. So we get it, get that thing out of there. So now I go to program the keys, and this is where it gets complicated. In the, in the old days, you could just program a couple keys, and boom, you're done in 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> not in this case. 
I found that, you know, I could program the keys, both of them, and it said program successful, but it still wouldn't start. So I'm scratching my head and I'm going, now what's going on here? You have to perform a parameter alarm reset procedure. Now, there's one way you can do it that doesn't work, and that's by turning the door lock to the unlock position for about 60 seconds and then turn it to the lock position for about 60 seconds. And I tried that twice, and that doesn't work. So then I got back into the Ford IDS scanner. I've got the Ford factory scanner. And you, go, you have to go in and you have to do a BCM reset. That's body control module reset. And then you have to go in and do the parameter reset. And then the car will start. I mean, the complexity of these things is just getting beyond the way it used to be. To have to go through all those things. I mean, this isn't a five-minute procedure. This took me a couple hours. So, I mean, wow. and the cars are... This is just a 2011. <clears throat> you get into the, you know, 2020s and above, they're even more complicated. You know, you've got adaptive cruise control. You've got cameras on the cars, front presence, side presence, rear presence. All this stuff is run by a computer. So, heads up, these newer cars, computers with wheels, are very complicated to work on. Oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> well, I think I'm just going to keep my old Honda. I had to do a battery change out on it. You know, I had a AC Delco battery in it that I got from Merle's. And uh, I thought, well, you know, it's a, it's a, it still looks pretty good, except it's got some liquid up on top. Nope, that means the battery's going. So I drove it in. Um, it set for a while, and then the battery was dead. So I go by the shop and I say, hey, order me a battery, another one of these batteries from Merle's. And he he pulled up the records on it and he says. Well, you got a 30-month battery, and it's been in over 42 months, I think, it, uh, and it's been in over four years. So I, I would think it should probably have a problem on it. And I said, yeah. and uh, But there again, that's not my only mode of transportation. So, you know, I don't care. If it, if it don't start, fine. I'll just get a battery and change it in. So I changed the battery in it, bought another AC Delco, very pleased with that battery, and put it in. And now it just runs perfect, absolutely perfect. But it was having little issues prior, and I think that because the battery was going down a little premature, low voltage, and causing these problems that Brian's been discussing. But um, now it runs perfect, and I'm very tickled. But you need to check the batteries, oh, my gosh, every at least every time you go in and have the oil change, oil service, then check the battery. We have the equipment that will tell us how much life you got left in this battery, and it'll also tell you if you got a dead cell or you know whatever you have. But a lot of people thinking, well, I'll just jump it off. It was just something freaky, so I'll just jump it off and drive it. You drive it, and sure enough, you get home and you say, 
okay, well, it's, it's, and you shut it off, and then you start it right back up. Okay, the battery's good. You get up the next morning, and it won't start. Completely dead again. That is called a surface charge. You get a little charge on the top of that thing. It goes down. It don't, doesn't go all the way down through the plates in the battery. And you've got a little surface charge. So it'll run it for a while because while it's driving, you also got an alternator working for you too. And it's trying to keep the battery charged up. Well, trying to keep something charged up that don't want to be charged up is a little hard to do. So, you know, don't get mad at your alternator. It's doing its job. The other thing when the battery goes out, and like Brian said on the show numerous times, you need to find out why that battery went out. Is the alternator still charging or is the alternator working part-time? What's the reason that you think that battery went out? Or is it just old age? It's it's, a, it's 46 months on a, a 24 to 30 month life expectancy in Tucson, Arizona. So there's a, a couple of little things you need to pay attention to. But just don't go out and put a battery in it without having the rest of the stuff to make sure that your alternator, I do have the equipment here at home, and that I can find out that my alternator is still working and working properly. So uh, it's just that's just a little recommendation for the do-it-yourselfers out there. And, yeah, because a bad yeah, battery or a weak so, battery, I mean, an alternator is a battery maintainer, not a battery right. charger. So, you know, you got a dead battery, and you go jump start it and say, well, I'll go drive it around till the alternator charges it up. Well, the alternator, it'll try. It may. It may succeed in charging it up, but it stresses that thing out to the max because it's going yeah. full on all it can do to charge. You know, if it's a 100-amp alternator, it's hitting it with 100 amps, you know, because that's what it's designed to do. And if you do that enough, I mean, I had a little Chevy in here this week. Weak battery. Took the alternator out. You know, and these alternators on these new vehicles aren't cheap either. Not no, at all. Not. So, and they're usually mounted on the bottom of the vehicle. So, you know, bottom of the motor. So, I mean, labor intensive to get the thing out of there too. So, right. you know, this particular vehicle, the battery was under warranty yet, so we warrantied the battery, but she had to have an alternator, too. And, I mean, the alternator alone was $358 just for the alternator. Mm-hmm. So, heads up, that's why, you know, There's when we do a service on a vehicle, we're checking the battery every time we do an oil change on your vehicle, every three or 5,000 miles, whatever it is. We check the battery. That's mm-hmm. part of that service. And then we could advise you as to, you know, yeah, that thing's getting weak, you know. The other thing that I was uh, that I run across, they were talking about antifreeze in cars. And uh, they say the lifetime antifreeze, which is supposed to be the lifetime. I don't know whose lifetime, but lifetime. Normally it's five years, 100,000 miles is what they consider lifetime. But the antifreeze, the recommendation on his antifreeze is have it tested at six months intervals, especially if you're in an area of severe duty, which is what Tucson is, check the acid uh, content. Check the the <coughs> excuse me. Check the antifreeze to make sure it's still okay. <coughs> excuse me, 
because with the dissimilar metals that's involved with the manufacture of the car now, and when you get the antifreeze, be careful what you change it out to because some of the antifreeze is not designed for the motor that it's going in. Used to, if it was brown, you could switch it out, flush it out because you got to get all of it out. You could flush out the GM brown and put it back with the, uh, the green, and you didn't have any problems. But to keep changing what the inside of the engine is, and now you have to... And you don't use tap water inside of a radiator now. You don't, you don't use, it's got too much garbage going in. You use a distilled water. And, um, but that was hot on the list and there's a large article on it. And, and I'm going, okay, everything they've said in here is I've seen and I know that it's true. So. I'm just trying to pass it on to educate you a little bit so that out of sight, out of mind, which is water. Uh, the other thing that goes along with that water corrosion inside your system is a thermostat. That thermostat works all time, hardest, one of the hardest working parts in a car, and it gets that buildup on it, and all of a sudden it only opens halfway or closes halfway. And so you still got water circulating. It's not supposed to be circulating. It's supposed to be heating up in the engine. Then it, the thermostat releases it. It goes out the radiator, and then the thermostat shuts it down again and, and gives the inside water or coolant a chance to do its job. But if you've got a plug radiator, because you haven't been servicing the radiator on a regular basis, uh, it just it it's a combined killer of engines, and anytime it heats up, it also affects the transmission cooler that's on the side of the uh, radiator. So that's just a little tip to hopefully save you a bunch of money. You got anything you want to add to that, Brian? We can in the second hour. We're coming up at the top of the hour here. We'll have to take a break here shortly. Yeah, yeah that's just what I understand. Uh, yeah, so we'll have to take a break in probably about a minute. But uh, it's, uh, it's they're rolling computers. Go ahead, Bry. I was going to say that... Uh, for any of you that want to know where Automotive Specialist is, we're at 3611 West Ina Road. That's in the Michaels Bookman's Plaza, southeast corner. It's Automotive Specialist, 3611 West Ina. Our phone number, 572-1734. You can also go to our website. It's automotivespecialistaz.com. You can go there. You can read about us. You can schedule an appointment. So don't hesitate. Give us a call, 572-1734. Absolutely. And Simmons is 8840217, 8840217. Ajo and Country Club, South, South Central. And uh, we're getting ready to go to the break, so we'll take this break real quick. Join us on the back side. I've got two more tickets to give away. And uh, we'll talk about automobiles at 719-1490. We'll be right back. 